In John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 26, and the message is entitled, Lost and Hopeless. This is a story about a woman, the Samaritan woman. She had no hope whatsoever. She was lost to what we would call today someone who is just debauched. We're going to see that she not only had been married, but she had five husbands. Now the man that she was living with, that she was with, what she was living with. Um, John Newton, um, slave trader, um, he converted to Jesus Christ and he was um, um, just a debauched sinner. He considered himself a debauched sinner to the lowest of debauchery. And he, when he came to Christ, he says, there's three wonderful things that I, that I expect. First is when I get to heaven is to find people there I did not expect to see. Secondly, to not find people who I did expect to see. And the greatest one is to find myself there. It's all of grace. But the condition is repentance. Here in uh, the Gospel of John, Jesus um, goes through Samaria. Let me read our text. We'll break it up. And it's a very specific text because of John's Gospel. Let me read here. Verse 1 of chapter 4 on down. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had... um, heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria, so he came to the city of Sychar, which is called Sychar, or Samaria called Sychar, same thing, and near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came and drew water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me the drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then would you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him fountains of living water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again or come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now are with, he's not your husband, and you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, and the fathers worship on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming um, when you neither will uh, 
worship in this mountain or in Jerusalem, but you worship, uh, but you worship in Jerusalem and worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation of the Jew. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is the Spirit, and those who worship Him in spirit must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, Sir, I know that Messiah is coming, whom is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Notice here in the beginning, the first six verses, the Samaritan woman provides for us the setting for her salvation as Jesus approaches her by reaching out at the opportune time. In verse 1 through 3, the occasion was of um, tension. Jesus is doing ministry. He became the focus of the Pharisees' contempt. As you know, they were always after him. Jesus departs up to Galilee, going up north in verse 3. He had already been there before. If uh, you read the first chapter of John, he had, uh, his disciples were already been with him for a while. He had uh, called them already. And um, he had been in Canaan where he turned water into wine, his first miracle, if you remember. And the occasion, notice in verse 4 through 6, brought Jesus to Samaria. But it says Jesus needed to go through Samaria in verse 4. It's an absolute necessity. It's the very same word that Jesus uses when he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Being born again is not a suggestion. It's not a nice thing that you might do. It is absolute compulsory for you to enter the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. Regardless of who you are, how good you think you are, no matter how many good deeds you've done, no matter how moral, how ethical you are, no matter what heritage you have, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Born again means you repent of your sins. This is where Jesus is going to be taking this woman, where she acknowledges her sin, confesses her sin, and asks forgiveness. That's what born again means. Jesus knew the spiritual condition of the Samaritan woman. This was her appointed time. That's why he says, I must needs go to Samaria, Jesus said. Notice in verse 4, still Jesus traveled through Samaria to Galilee. It was a route that no Jew would really take. The Jews um, would take either the east side of the Jordan, the king's highway, up to Samaria and then cross over by Perea. Or they would take the king's highway via Mare all the way up and then come across. And when they came across, they would shake the dust off their clothes just in case they got some Galilee dust on it. I mean some, uh, some Samaritan dust on it. They hated the, the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half-breeds according to them. The Assyrians used to have a cross-population policy. They would take people and they would transpopulate them to kind of discourage them from uh, rebelling and everything. So if they came to Pasadena, they would take some of the people from Pasadena, put them down in Long Beach and take Long Beach, put them up in Alton Loma, and, and they would just split families and everything. And so this way you would lose your family ties, you would lose your religion, and you would just be absorbed into other people, and the nation and the race would be lost. Very effective. 
Now, when Israel came back from Babylon, the Samaritans were refused to help Nehemiah, Ezra's records it, because they didn't have the proper genealogy. The Samaritans believe in the Pentateuch, that's it, the first five books. As we've read here, we'll see they didn't believe Jerusalem was the center of worship, but they believed Gerizim was. So you have the same thing all over the world. You have people that have a similarity to some of the truths of the Bible because the truth is in the Bible and they've taken partial truth and changed it or made parallels. There's only one genuine, many false truths, which are no truths at all. The whole world began knowing that God created the heavens and the earth. And they became corrupt and God destroyed the whole world. God began again with Noah and his family. All of them knew who created the world. All of them knew who killed everybody on the earth. How did it end up? The world get better and better? Ended up in the Tower of Babel. God dispersed them. Has it gotten better? No. <laughs> Amazing. They set up their priests to serve their own gods. In verse 5 and 6, notice Jesus came to where the woman would be coming in the city of Sychar. Ascar is the modern-day city that stands where Sychar did in Nebulus, not, too, uh, not far from Shechem, uh, where Shechem did. And uh, Jacob here had given the plot of ground, as you know, from Shechem to his son Joseph and buried them there. And Jacob was um, to be... Uh, right here at the well was a place where they were to meet with the disciples. So Jesus is going up to Galilee, but he's going through Samaria. Jesus was weary. Notice his humanity. He tired. Though he was God, he became man. He was 100% man, 100% God. He hungered, he thirsted, he tired, he bled, he died, he cried. The word for well there means a well fed by a running spring, and it's used twice in verse 6 and 14. Jesus arrived at the sixth hour to the well. Hebrew time, that makes it 12 noon. Roman time, that makes it 6 in the evening. Now, Jesus has saved many people in many different ways. God has saved people by people just getting a hotel room for the night. And they pull out and open the drawer and they open up a Bible. Scene. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Hmm. And God began to minister to them. Or they open maybe to this story. And they get born again all on their own right there that night. Sometimes God uses such things like men like myself tonight. If your heart's open, then God is going to deal with you where you're at to let you know how much God loves you, but to let you know that He's holy and He can't have anything to do with you or myself unless there's a forgiveness and a transformation by the work of His Son as He died in my place. Jesus has saved worse people than the woman of Samaria, trust me. There is no sin that God cannot forgive or no person that God cannot save except the one that's not willing to be saved. God asks for your permission. As powerful as he is, he'll never force you to go to heaven. You have to say, yes, Lord, 
I believe you died for my sin. I believe you can forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me your child in Jesus' name. And he will save you. So God is always reaching out at every opportune time towards sinners. Notice secondly in 7 through 18, by seeking out confession of sin. Jesus in verse 7 through 9, he's the initiator of the conversation. She comes out drawing water and he says, give me to drink. Here she's left alone. The disciples have gone to get food. That's a good thing. This is no accident. (laughs) Verse 8. Then in verse 9, the woman responds in two ways. She was surprised that he would request of her water because he's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Not only a Samaritan, she's a woman. Okay? Today, women and their women live. And if you're a liver, don't come and talk to me afterwards. Okay? Don't argue with me. Okay? It's not going to work. Men are men. Women are women. We have different equipment. We think differently. We respond differently. Our physical bodies are differently, purposely by God. There's only one of two identities for the human race, male and female. Black is not a race. Brown is not a race. All right? Your identity is male or female according to God. That's it. The rest is just crazy confusion. And distortion. So he's a Jew. He's asking her. And she was sarcastic to him. Because she knew the prejudice. This is sarcasm. Look at verse 10 through 12. Jesus attempts to show the woman her spiritual need. And this is what God always does when the word of God goes forth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen says that's why it's important the Word of God be proclaimed. Today, too many churches don't preach, don't teach the Word of God. So people aren't convicted. People don't repent. People are just being entertained. Pastors are being motivational speakers. People don't want to offend the big tithers. People don't want to offend for what this or that. Who cares? God has used the foolishness of preaching. Not the preaching of foolishness. The foolishness of preaching to confound the wise and the strong. That God get the glory. Notice in verse 10, her understanding is blind to spiritual things. She did not know what the gift of God was, namely salvation. She says, if you knew the gift of God, he says. She didn't know who he was, namely the Messiah here. Who it is that asked you, give me drink, and you would have asked him. She did not ask him for the living water, not knowing her need. He would have given you living waters. God does not force that, as I said, upon anybody. He will shed his light upon you as you hear the word of God for you to see your lostness. And then you are the one that has to agree with God about your lostness. And then you call on the name of the Lord and he will save you. But he will not force you. She's respectful calling him sir. She could not see 
from where he will get this living water because the word he uses is living water, running water. She's talking about a well, stagnant, different. The well, probably about 100 feet. How are you going to draw this stuff? Are you greater than our father Jacob in verse 12? You see, the Samaritans claim their heritage through Joseph E. from Manasseh. The word for well there that she uses, again, completely different. Here Jesus is offering her spiritual living water that will quench her thirst. She'll never have to thirst again. She's saying, hey, man, get, give me some of this. You mean I won't have to come out here and carry, and, and, and carry buckets of water back home every day? Give me some of this stuff. You see, when you're not born again, you're on AM. And God's on FM. Not until your heart is open will you ever hear the FM proclamation. If your heart is hard, you will remain on AM. You'll understand intellectually, but no penetration to the heart. Because the heart is evil, desperately wicked, and hard. Proudful. Hmm. 13 through 50, notice Jesus' attempts to show her the emptiness of the earthly things. And 13, Jesus declared the temporal satisfaction of earthly water. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. And yet the permanent satisfaction of the one he gives, whoever drinks of this water shall never thirst again. This is a big contrast. She's thinking things things over. Jesus is declaring the resources are internal. They will bubble up torrents of living water. Far different from what the world may offer, whether it be through drugs, through alcohol, through sex, through success, through education, through popularity, through having the best clothes or being the most popular. All of that, especially you who are young, will go away like an early fog. Real, real fast. It will mean nothing when you get down the road a few years. The most important thing is where are you going to be if you die? Heaven or hell? When they bury you, they're not going to take anything with you. They will not even bury you with shoes. You leave everything behind. The poor and the most wealthy person leave exactly the same amount. Everything. And at that point of death, that wealthiest man in the world would give anything for one more week. But his money can't buy him one more week. And his money cannot buy him heaven. And the only thing that keeps him out of heaven is his Unwillingness to repent. If he would repent, God would forgive him. It always comes back to the heart. Notice in 16 through 18, Jesus reveals her sin. In verse 16, her present sin. To move her to repent by confessing her sin. God calls, says, call your husband and come here. 
She confesses her sin by acknowledging that she has no husband. Now, Jesus knew this. Jesus acknowledges her confession. You have well said, I have no husband. She could have lied to him, and then he would still know she lied, but she's not lying. So, a step at a time, she's responding to the words of Jesus to woo her to salvation. He doesn't force her, but he's dealing with her heart. She reveals her life of sin in 18. She had been married five times. Now, that's still a lot for today. This is back then in those days, right? She was um, presently living with a man who was not her husband. Nothing new under the sun, right? Jesus knows what's in every person's heart. Their thoughts. The woman has sunk to a lower level than divorce by living with a man now. Perhaps without being divorced from maybe her last husband. We don't know the specifics. But it's nothing strange. I've, I've met with people that have been, you know, they've had four or five different kids from four or five different women. And the last two they marry and they never divorce. Now they come to the Lord and they want to get married. What do you do with that? <laughs> well, you've got to get rid of the last two divorces. You're a new creature, but you still got to deal with the two divorces that are on the, on the, on the books. You got to take care of those things. People mess their life up so much today. God is willing to forgive you, but you still have to deal with the legality of your actions here on earth. You can't just tell the court, well, I'm born again. It doesn't matter. It's true with God, but you still have a responsibility here on earth. You have to deal with it. You know, the thief on the cross acknowledges guilt. After some hours, at first they both were cursing him. Then the other one changed his mind. He was listening to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, what was the difference? They were both equally distant. They were both hearing the same things. The heart. One responded and agreed with Jesus. He was a sinner. The other one said, no, I'm not. One believed the message of salvation. The other one did not. One believed there was a heaven and a hell. The other one did not. Both died. One went to heaven. The other one to hell. All your unbelief does not change God's facts. God's word is absolutely true. Jesus desires to show each person their spiritual need. Show them their emptiness or whatever they're living for. And their utter impossibility of fulfilling anything that is going to be lasting on this life. Everything loses its luster. Everything comes to an end. We always want more. The only thing that can satisfy us is knowing that Jesus Christ forgives us and that He can give us hope and new life so that we can be His witnesses and His light here on this earth to others who are lost as we were once lost. So God is always seeking man to 
confess his sins, just like the woman here. Now notice, from 19 to 26, this last section, it's by accepting him as Messiah. This is the last step. Jesus acknowledges here as a prophet by her in verse 19. He first was just a Jew in verse 9. Then he was addressed respectfully, sir, in verse 11 and 15, and here also. But now he's a prophet. So her revelation, her understanding is, is increasing as Jesus is ministering unto her. Jesus moves her towards him closer. And what it does is now he removes all her religiosity. Look at verse 20 through 24. In 20, she puts Jesus to the test as God's prophet who is right. Who is right in the controversy between the place of worship? Samaritans or Jews? The rival temple had been erected in Mount Gerizim by permission of Alexander the Great and dedicated to Zeus through their Hellenization in 407 B.C. and destroyed in 120 B.C. by John Heraclius, the Maccabean ruler. They declared that Abraham had offered Isaac on Gerizim and that Abraham also met Melchizedek there. That's not what Genesis says. Many people say a lot of things that the Bible says, but if you open your Bible, you find out they're wrong. Every commentary you read will tell you, and your maps in the back of your Bible will tell you that Mount Sinai is in the Sinai Peninsula. When you go home, put a circle around it and a slash. Read Galatians chapter 4. Paul says... Arabia, Mount Sinai in Arabia, east of Jordan, down here in the south, in Arabia, Mount, the land of Midian. Isn't that where Exodus says Moses went? So many people say many things, but the Bible is the one that has the true, absolute record of truth. So, you receive and you verify by the Bible. That's what you do. Okay? Jesus declares an appointed time when earthly localities will cease to be the center of worship in 21. He prefaces the statement, woman, believe me, emphasizing the truth of the authority of what he is about to say. He states, the hour is coming, meaning it is future. In 22, Jesus declared his, her ignorance as to her worship of God. He's dealing with some hard issues here, but her heart is open. She worshiped what she did not know. Jews worship what they do know, he says there, for salvation was of what? The Jews. And Jesus includes himself as knowing the true worship by the pronoun we. Jesus was not Mexican. He's not American. He was a Jew. Real simple. Okay? Look at 23 and 24. Jesus declares 
her invitation to worship God. He reveals that the time had come that all of mankind can worship God regardless of their quote-unquote race. Verse 23. It is future and already present. Is coming and now is. It is open to sincere worshipers when true worshipers will worship. Who are true worshipers? Those who worship according to the dictates and principles of the Bible. We agree with God. God did not agree with us. Amos 3.3. 3. Real simple. It is worship of the Father in spirit and truth for God seeks such to worship Him. He's dealing with her heart. He's correcting her bad theology, her religiosity that she had been indoctrinated into. He's shedding light on it. God is not physical. He's a spirit. So God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Spirit, the Holy Spirit, truth, the word of God. They are one. This is the second must in the chapter. No exception. In spirit means the inner man made alive by the spirit of God through salvation. In truth means what is true in things pertaining to God. On any level that the word of God reveals. Notice lastly in 25 and 26, Jesus now reveals himself to her as what? Messiah. This is the ultimate. She confesses her belief. I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, which means anointed Messiah. She concurs that when Messiah comes, he will tell the Samaritans all things. Politely, she was saying, I don't know if I believe you. There's still questions in her mind. Jesus declares to her that he was the Messiah. I who speak to you am he. Only one person is referred to as Ego Amy, the one who spoke to Moses of the burning bush in Exodus 3.14. Jesus uses the phrase constantly for himself in the Gospel of John. John 8.58 is just one of those times. I am he who you're talking about. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal this to a person. You can hear it from a man, but only God can make it alive in your heart where you say, He is the Messiah. Like the centurion at the cross, this truly was the Son of God. That is through illumination and conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. If you don't know Jesus. And then you get to choose whether you want to be saved and forgiven or not. But you're the one that determines. Some of you may be too young, but in 1929, J.C. Penney's, and these used to be big department stores. J.C. Penney's, the man, the businessman was highly um, unstable. And so he began to worry and became sleepless. Um, and he worried to the extreme and contracted the shingles, which is the severest way of a pain that people can have. Some of you may have had that or know somebody. 
Um, there's a big outbreak today. If you've had the, the um, measles, you have the virus for it. And there's uh, uh, shots you can get for that today. He says, and into the, uh, he checked himself at the hospital, and Penny was given medicine and tranquilized him, but it was no help. He still worried about his business, and one night he felt that he would die before morning. And so he started writing farewells to all his um, loved ones, his wife, his son, his friends. But by the next morning, as he was lying in bed, he heard singing from the hospital chapel next door. Quote, no matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. End of quote. Suddenly he leaped up thinking, it is real. God loves and cares for me. In no time, he had jumped up off his bed and entered the chapel, and then a miracle took place in his soul. As if he were a little bird suddenly free to fly out of the dungeon into the sunlight. From Bell to paradise, he became born again. And the life of J.C. Penney's was incredible. He became one of the most benevolent, giving people for Christianity, for retirement homes and everything else. And he lived to be old, old, old. What made the difference? He heard the word of God. Wow. Tonight you have heard the word of God. You must make a decision whether you believe this is just a bunch of smack or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether this is just philosophy, religiosity, or whether it's the truth about God and about yourself. You might be over the internet. You must make that decision also. Based on that decision, it is you and you alone who will determine where you spend eternity. God loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. God made him, Jesus Christ, his son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He's such an incredible God that he didn't have to die. He chose to die in my place, your place, that you might have an opportunity the same opportunity Adam had back in the garden, whether you want to live eternally with God or separated from God. You get the same chance as Adam now as you look to the person of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, he wants to save you and forgive you right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love. Lord, we pray that your hand be upon those who are here and on the internet, those who don't know you, that your word would just convict them of sin and that, Lord, that they would call upon your name. And Lord, your spirit would make this alive and clear to them, Lord, that they would see their, uh, their position of lostness, Lord, and hopelessness and the only hope in your son. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved. To repent of your sins. You're the only one that can make that decision. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God who became man. And died for your sins and rose from the dead. Then you can call upon him. Even as a woman of Samaria did. 
This is your prayer of repentance if you want to be born again. And He's going to forgive you right now, casting your sins as far as east as the west, buried in the deepest ocean. And He will never mention your sins ever again. That's His promise. This is your prayer right now where you say you can repeat it right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.